Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. Hamilton. Directed by Thomas Kale, 2020. Whether you're new to Crow Talk or a seasoned listener, you're joining us during a singular time in 21st century history. As you're critically aware, coronavirus has rerouted normal life, tipping everything expected on its head. This podcast is no exception. Instead of recording Season 3 episodes from our studio at Western Washington University, we will be podcasting from our couches and remote workstations. We will use headphones with tiny microphones as dogs bark outside and our partners quietly bring us tea. Just as the quality of our production must shift, so has the dynamic of film viewing. So, welcome to our Season 3 series, Streaming in the Time of COVID, where we will reflect on the experience of viewing, share yays and nays, squawk our opinions, and consider takeaways. Things we want to remember moving forward about this film, or film in general. Rochelle, this question's for you, because I know where Stacy and I stand on this matter. Oh, okay. Hit me. Do you like musicals? Do I like musicals? Um, you're asking this question because you like musicals. Is that correct? Stacy and I, yes. Stacy and I love musicals. <gasps> okay. Everybody knows it. We have a problem where after like 3 p.m., we'll just start singing mm-hmm. everything. It's awful. I actually have I Heart musicals on my tramp stamp tattooed <laughs> on my body. Her tramp stamp is gigantic, gentle listeners. Like huge, it's huge. It's a huge tramp stamp. It's basically of a it. full back-sized tramp stamp, if that makes any sense. It's full so. back tattooed to the, to the nape of the butt crack. Down to the nape of the butt crack, nape of the butt crack. <laughs> okay, do I like musicals? Sometimes. Mm. I had no idea. Like, I kind of wanted to guess, but literally, I was right down the middle. I had no idea what you would say. I mean, we've all been in them. Every True. single person okay. on the podcast has been in musicals. That's fun. Yes. I don't like all musicals, but generally like them. What about yays for Hamilton? Uh, my yay, I'll start us off. Stacy here on the old microphone. My yay is the casting. Hands down, the casting. It's brilliant. My yay, Cassidy here, is... That it's a musical because you don't see, I mean, that's so simple, but seriously, because you don't, I haven't seen a stage production shot like that for television since like the seventies or eighties, you know, there's like a Nutcracker DVD I watch every Christmas that was the New York Ballet Company and it was shot on stage like that, like during a live performance. So yeah, literally for me, it was just my yay is that it's a musical and we're like stuck at home right now. So to watch a musical felt like even though I was watching it at home on my couch, it felt refreshing. Like the energy was different. So, Well, uh, the sometimes musical lover Scrooge here, my yay is absolutely the music. How about nays? Reasons some individuals might not enjoy Hamilton. I definitely experienced some fatigue because of the duration and the energy that it rides at for the entire two hours and 40 minutes. And, you know, you can't, there's no relaxing in this show. If you don't stay present and engaged, you're going to miss something because it's going so quickly. So I felt a little fatigued. So that's something to know going into it. Like be awake, drink a lot of water, (laughs) do a Sudoku puzzle beforehand, get your brain sharp. Yeah, my name is 
a simplified version of your name, which was also my yay. It's a musical. <laughs> um, so if that's not your thing and yeah, you're not like ready to saddle up and strap in and I don't listen to rap a ton. Like I do listen to it, but I had, it like took me a little bit of time to acclimate to how quickly the information was coming. And it was amazing. And it's also like one of my favorite parts of the musical, but yeah. It is a lot to take in musically. It's like Les Mis, you know, but it's because they're rapping a lot of the songs. I feel like you're getting like 10 times the information that Les Mis gives you. And my nay is hindsight. You know, when this was written in 2014, when an audience finally got to see it in 2015, that's a very different time than our present 2020. And I think that there's a lot of valuable conversation to be had around the stories we choose to tell and how we choose to tell them. Here we go. Deep dive in. Let's get in there. I feel like that too, Rochelle, like, I don't know, Stacy and I were talking about that and I was reading some criticisms of the musical, specifically about not addressing slavery, which like, yeah, I totally agree with that. They could have addressed that a little bit better. But I also think like it at least moved the needle forward at the you know like years ago where it at least allowed like a different type of music finally into the musical realm which is like a huge part of representation I think as a white person so take this for what you will you know but I yeah I feel like for its time it did and like the casting too like Stacey's yay it at least moved the needle forward in its time and is allowing for conversations like this which is really cool and definitely the the ability to now be able to see Hamilton off-Broadway, uh, off of its tours, from our homes uh, in this time of streaming, especially, you know, 15 months before it was intended for theatrical release, getting, getting Hamilton uh, through Disney+, Plus, that's pretty enormous. Probably a significant... Revenue cut. What are your thoughts on Disney Plus? What was that like streaming this this film through that service? I mean, I definitely would have preferred to see it live, you know, but to go see it on Broadway, like how much would that cost? A lot. On average, between $270 and $310 per ticket. Yeah, I mean, maybe I would have done that for Hamilton because of all the hype, you know, but that's like wild. It's a wild ticket price. Uh, so I do appreciate that, that it's accessible. You know, and again, like for me at least, and I am a musical nerd, like it's like the thing I discovered in high school where I was like, oh, I found myself. I'm doing arm gestures like I'm in the forest, gentle listeners. But yeah, it was like invigorating. So I think it's cool that they can, like Disney's allowing that type of energy at home. If it, if it hits you that way, maybe it doesn't. I think that if it has some star power for me, it helps like Lin-Manuel has become such a huge celebrity. Jonathan Groff, my oh, boyfriend. Oh my God. Gosh, dang it. He's so hot and gay. It's, it's not fair. True. It's and just all like... the things. I think that plays in general, stage productions that are filmed in general, I don't like because that energy exchange is so important. Um, but having like big stars and such an amazing production and having the camera on stage and and being able to edit it to serve the story was very cool. You know, they had cameras going multiple directions. So it wasn't like it was a camera sitting in the audience. That viewing a play like that was very cool and special. 
So I'm very grateful to go to the theater in that way during this time because yeah, I also just love live performance. It's just so much. So amazing. And like even being able to see like the actors because like nowadays I feel like or even like when musicals were huge like in the 70s, in my opinion, like golden era for musicals, just when they were throwing money at them in a different way. I don't know, but they don't have the audience. And so you got to see them like running backstage, you know, like in the windows in the back, you could like see actors moving and see them taking like props out. Ugh, delicious. Like that part, I think is some of the like excitement for me is to see the moving parts. So yeah, I'm glad at least for this depiction, like it was filmed on stage. How is it for you, Rochelle? I I think that what I was most excited for was to get to see firsthand like a, a fraction or a nugget of what created this cultural phenomenon, you know? The idea that so many people were trying to get tickets and it felt so exclusive for individuals who were able to get tickets and could afford tickets. And then when the tours began and the tickets skyrocketed in price and so many people were spending outrageous amounts of money on tickets. I mean, I know people, they spend a lot of money on tickets. It's just how it is. We have a friend who paid like what, $500 a ticket for Beyonce. So I get it. Tickets are, they're expensive. Um, And so I was excited to get to see the production at all because I just didn't ever anticipate a time in my life when I'd get to see it. And so I think that that was what was exciting to me about it being available on Disney Plus, which I have for free right now through our Verizon package. Um, But there are a lot of people who don't even have Disney Plus, can't afford Disney Plus. And so there's still a level of accessibility here that I'm I'm interested in, though I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that it's more accessible. And I appreciate Miranda's decision with with director Thomas Kale uh, to release this adaptation early while everyone's stuck at home, like an audience built right in. And especially with the optimistic overtones of this story, uh, this retelling, uh, it's, it serves the moment um, as far as trying to find um, a lightness, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish they would do it now with more musicals. Like, um the book of mormon is a show that we were going to finally see because it's so similar as far as popularity goes and just like pricing Uh, it got canceled because of covid so yeah i mean i would be interested if other musicals came to this platform you know and i would definitely pay at least like i mean i don't know 20 bucks it's crazy (laughs) like the price difference you're willing to pay to stream something versus like actually going to see it hundreds of well, dollars of difference. Yeah, and so many people have have seen this on on the stage since its original run through the Vassar workshop in 2014 and then off-Broadway to Broadway in 2015 and 16. Its first world tour in 2017. I mean, it collected quite the list of nominations through the Tonys and Pulitzer. I mean, it won 11 Tonys, Best Musical. It definitely has received a lot of praise and I really was thankful that we got to see this adaptation with the original cast. Kind of get to see a little bit of that initial fervor, especially for Miranda uh, and his joy uh, that is so apparent. He relishes being on stage. I really could feel that from him. And since, you know, he was working loosely from Ron Chernow's 2004 biography, 
of Alexander Hamilton, you get to sort of sit with this idea of history adapted. And I think that that ended up taking on a whole other side of my viewing. It really informed it. But more than anything, really, is the music for me. And I was really curious what each of your favorite musical performances were in in Hamilton. Oh, well, there's songs, you know, that just got stuck in my head, but performances changes it. Um, oh, satisfied. It could be either. Satisfied, yes. Oh, my Satisfied, gosh. that performance and how it rewound in the middle of the song, and then we got new context for the same story. That was incredible. I get that would be enough stuck in my head. I think that was the most catchy for me. I find myself singing that one. But the Dear Theodosia, that song is the most simple song in the whole thing. But thematically, it's the moment where you just see them both on equal footing is just loving dads. It was so beautiful. There's so many, so many incredible musical standards, you know, and then so many fresh songs that it's hard to choose, but I guess I'll go with those three, which was not one. (laughs) Oops. Good luck, Cassidy. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, okay. My, yeah, I don't really have a favorite. I really liked my shot, obviously. And the Skylar sisters, uh, because like everybody's voice is amazing and I just want to sing along. (laughs) So I can't wait to sing some Skylar Sisters. Like everything blew me away. Like I can't pick one song. I also loved seeing or hearing rather the differentiation between performers when they would rap and performers when they would sing and holy shit. They're so (laughs) talented and just so like strong in every register that they're singing. And it is just, oh, and any song the King sang. (laughs) Stacey's boyfriend, the King. (laughs) And also, sorry, I'm like ranting about this, but at the end, the piece where everyone was moving the pieces of furniture really slowly. Oh yeah. Just the choreography and stuff that was stunning. Yeah. It was stunning. That was, that was incredible. Some really beautiful choreography moments. Absolutely. And I think that is a piece of my favorite number, though. Here, Theodosia is definitely a runner-up for me, uh, as is Wait For It. Both, of course, are by Leslie Odom Jr., who played Aaron Burr. And I, I think I'm a little obsessed with his ability, his talent. There's just so much, there's so much calm in his storm. You know, it's just it's just so controlled. His voice is so intentional. His range is beautiful. Uh, and the emotion that he brought to every every performance, every song was was gorgeous for me. And yeah, I totally agree, Stacey. It was a beautiful moment to get to see fatherhood and the the connection between him and Miranda. Their voices work really well together uh, in Dear Theodosia, which was a boon for me because I, I struggled with Miranda's performance overall musically. And it was hard, though, too, because of how revered I, I was so crazy um, with Leslie's performance. So wait for, I was too. Yeah, wait for it, Dear Theodosia killed me. But believe it or not, my favorite musical moment overall, my favorite performance was the very first, the opening number, Alexander Hamilton. Yes, I love the rhythm. I love how intricate every single aspect of the musicality is. And yeah, when Odom comes in at 313, I broke down into tears. (laughs) 
like I just started sobbing immediately. Like we're three minutes into this. Okay. And I'm already crying because what I'm seeing in front of me is the gravity of watching and listening to something that I felt like I should have been seeing every day of my whole life. Like this display of diversity, this beautiful weaving of, of different emphasis in music than I get to see often on stage. It was not the same, but similar to my Wonder Woman experience. It was just sort of like, this has been missing for me. And that, that revolutionary moment for me came right away in that first, in that first uh, number. I just was, I was really wowed by how in sync everyone was from, from the get-go, but I think it was the message um, and the emotional impact of what the show could mean to me that got me the most. Yeah, it was a really powerful opening. And it reminds me of Les again. I don't know, just that revolution energy and like the lighting and stuff too. It's, yeah, it's the cast. I think that's what, because I agree with you, Rochelle, I had that feeling too of this is really important. And his deliberate choice to make all of these people of color portray white people. I can't think of any anything else that's done that. Which we should be doing that. I feel like we should be doing that. And so that right there was just powerful at every single moment. You know, you just check with in with it and you're like <laughs> that with his music, it's just a, an important piece of art that yeah, did not come out that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it should have come out long and, ago. And there's like never been I mean, I can't even think of another like rap song in any other musical. There probably is like. Well, there's his musicals in the Heights. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, I guess just outside of anything he's produced. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure either. And I'm not terrible. I don't stay up on musicals. I definitely. Um, I fell off in love musicals, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm not aware of any either. For sure. The choice to completely diversify the cast, a cast of characters that have such a sordid history in the founding of our country, was an enormous step forward. It was such a, a bold and risky decision to make, even back in 2014, especially back in 2014. And it's one that we don't continue to make today. It's just, it's interesting to me that at the time, it was such a huge choice and such a big risk to a degree that potentially the concepts that were communicated within the musical itself, the story itself wasn't changed in a way that was an actual step forward, in my opinion. I mean, we, we whitewashed, truthfully, we whitewashed crimes. There was not one Black character. There were Black people, but there wasn't one Black character. Racism is a footnote. You know, so it's, and we, we get to hear about an entire battalion of Black soldiers trying to raise up an entire 3,000 person uh, battalion and then it not happening because the soldier leading it dies before it can come to fruition. And then we don't get to mourn that soldier as if this is a tragedy outside of Hamilton's own sorrow. And so I think that there were some really, really huge misses that I get to see now in 2020 that I would not have seen in 2015. I would totally. never, because I've been taught these misses. You know, I, this is me regurgitating misses that I've been shown. And so, yeah, I recognize the enormous leap forward that it is. And I'm still very thankful for that 
bold choice by Miranda. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like everyone in the cast and Miranda all agree too, you know, <clears throat> they're all, and everything I've read, they're all like, yeah, I mean, we should have, there's like many, many, many ways we could have done this better. Hindsight. Yeah. So evolving. And, and totally. Yeah. I want, it could have been different if uh, a black person was creating this musical, you know, what would that have been like? Maybe it wouldn't have been different. Maybe it is the era that we're in now which 15, 2014 does not feel that long ago, but it is like even just January, 2020 feels like a long time oh, ago. I don't even like to right now. My gosh. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that it was whitewashed for sure. And they sold a lot of tickets because of that, you know, who's going to Broadway. Right. It did not keep me from enjoying this musical. I don't know what that means, but something I really did appreciate deeply, deeply is that this this was an immigrant story. And that is, I really think, the through line that Miranda was was tugging at the entire way through, all oh, yeah. the way from beginning to end. And it's just makes me so, it just makes me so happy thinking of all the people who have spent so much money to be in these seats, just to watch the true story of people coming to America uh, as immigrants, and then trying to make their way. Totally. And, and you know, it is kind of a revisionist history with an amazing purpose, you know, because Alexander Hamilton, yeah, was a white person, but changing the casting to people of color allows us to really lean into that narrative, which is absolutely the fundamental core of America. We all are trans- all yeah. the people who came here, yeah, you know, are immigrants. So. You're not native, you're a transplant. So Yeah, you're an immigrant. And so <laughs> I think that the casting, yeah, I always I just keep coming back to the casting because yeah, that the focus then became so much more specific and so valuable. And for me, I'm still trying to work out what it does to the conversation of slavery and people of color in this white narrative because just their presence talking about this story that has nothing to do with black people, that itself is the protest. Right. So yes, it was whitewashed for sure. And we left out really crucial, true facts about our founding fathers in the story. But the fact that they're holding it with these black and brown hands yeah. for me is doing something that it's, it's too simple to say it was whitewashed or that it's irresponsible. Like I don't agree with that. I, I see that, but there's there's something really exciting going on with the casting and what it does, how it negates whitewashing, I guess, the criticism that it's receiving for me. Yeah. Cue my sobbing at minute three. <laughs> like yes, exactly yeah. that. That is the power yes. that literally slammed into me and made me say, I wish I had this my whole life. This mm-hmm. is real to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why isn't this how life has been? You know, and I'm just this white girl, you know, so but hungry, hungry mm-hmm. for that, to see that. And mm-hmm. that to be what was really like our history, but it's not. So it's mm-hmm. exciting to have this representation in this way because we get to sit with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it could have changed the idea of casting. Like it would be interesting to look back on when, you know, like Disney cast a black actress for Ariel and you know that black like different casting started happening and I wonder if Hamilton sparked any of that for people because Mm -hmm. it is like as a white person you know that is a like you said Rochelle kind of like a huge 
smack in the face you didn't say it exactly that way but just like holy shit it's just a bunch of humans telling a story which seems like the most practical way to retell stories though yes slavery was left out and yeah I feel like I agree with what the cast said too it's just like yeah you can see all of the holes for sure but it like really moved things forward on the other hand well and Obama really I feel is inspiration there yeah you know as far as representation because we had it on the top level and there was plenty of problems with Obama but it's that representation that we had that then I don't know if that inspired Hamilton but what that is doing you know I mean representation I think is the highest responsibility of filmmakers and storytellers of any kind the fortune feinster stand-up comes to mind because she talks about this is a spoiler for that but just talking about representation and like not understanding who you are and being able to see someone who's similar to you like in a story on a Mm -hmm. show or a film and understand more about yourself through that viewing experience it's really messed up that mm-hmm. that's not accessible to everyone because stories are powerful. Like we're empathizers. So yeah, I just think representation is literally the most important thing that Hollywood sucks at. We suck at it. Like white people suck at it. It reminds me of when uh, Brandy played Cinderella and all of the gorgeous music that was created for that production. And I was swept away. Like I wanted to be Brandy so bad. I wanted to be Brandy as Cinderella. And it was it was so beautiful and it was so perfect. I feel like when we're taking these quote unquote mainstays or we're taking history and we're infusing it with truth of diversity and truth of humanity and truth of, of representation, it's a, it's a aspect or a a small piece of reparation. It's a way to go back and amend. It doesn't change anything uh, from the past, but it could change how we view things moving forward. It gives children a totally different landscape to dream over and to identify with. Mind-blowing watching it, which sounds so trivial, but... You were mentioning your enjoyment of the casting, Stacey. And something I found so interesting when I did a little bit of digging is many of these main original cast members actually worked together again in 2018 on Blind Spotting, which is a fantastic film about two best friends. Um, one of the main characters is uh, David Diggs. Have you, has anybody seen that? I haven't, I haven't watched it, but it's streaming right now, like on Hulu or HBO. It's streaming somewhere. I have too many platforms it, now to keep track. It of. is absolutely worth checking out. Davy Diggs and his best friend wrote this together and starred in it together. And it's this incredible story. Um, I believe that there there's some true elements to it, but I'm not sure uh, the extent of that. It's about two men, one black man, one white man who grow up in the same neighborhood and about how they come to terms with one another, how the black friend helps the white friend understand that just because he grew up in the same neighborhood and just because he has had to experience hostility with new people coming in and posing like they belong, he has no idea what it means to be a black person in their neighborhood and the the privilege that comes with being white in, in this shared space. And it is 
it's a beautiful brother's story, just beautiful. Uh, but so David obviously starred in that. And, you know, Jasmine Jones, Jasmine Cephas Jones, who played the baby sister and Maria Reynolds, the woman in red, she was in it. Uh, I also heard a little bit of goss that her and the guy who is starring in the new production of In the Heights have been dating since Hamilton, and they are still together. And by oh, the yes. guy, I mean Anthony Ramos. Ooh, ooh. But on topic, the other individual who was in Blind Spotting is, wait for it. Boyfriend. Okay. Her magical gay boyfriend. I just can't like okay, he's in Mindhunter as well on Netflix. And I saw that first, obviously, before Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Stacey mentioned many, 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 many times that he was in Hamilton. I forgot. And so when he first came out on stage, it was like, that guy looks familiar. Has he been in other music? You know, I was like, was he in Rent? <laughs> so Spring I, Awakening, actually. That's where he's from. That's when I first met the Groff. Okay, I met the Groff in Mindhunter. <laughs> I met the Groff in Glee. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. in Glee. Right, which makes Glee. so much sense. <laughs> well, I met him in Glee, but then Stacy gave me... Um, Oops, a pirated copy of the Spring Awakening musical uh, music and the soundtrack. And so I listened to him on that. And then, of course, I had to look up stills and clips and things. And I learned a little bit about him after that. But Glee, Glee for me. And then, of course, Mindhunter because, duh. And Frozen. And Frozen. I know. Like, gosh, IMD being him is a treat. I'm terrible (laughs) at animated films because I completely forget, except for Kristen Bell, which is ironic that's who i always remember too i'm like kristen (laughs) and the woman from wicked i don't know her name it's dina menzel anywho jonathan groff is my boyfriend so lay off lay off the groff get off the groff what would you think what do you think your favorite part of jonathan groff's performance as king george the third was for you stacy oh gosh i mean there's so much there's obviously the spit that's my favorite thank you for saying that sorry nobody <laughs> this question's not directed at me go on <laughs> i mean delightful which you wouldn't be able to see you know unless you were up close so thank you cameras for that but his ridiculous accent i don't know he's just so darn handsome and such an incredible singer he's such an incredible vocalist and so to see him be in that goofy role so much fun and the spitting like I thought that was a choice to make like the character (laughs) less likable and more grotesque you know because he is handsome so like I thought he had made that decision to be like "Eh, the king of England (laughs) (laughs) but Stacy told me he's a spitter (laughs) naturally he just does it when he's on stage he's like I'm a spitter Oh, but King George III was known for being an outrageous spitter. Oh, I know that. We need to fact check this. Gentle listeners, fact check it. Go. So, but that (laughs) makes me think maybe it was like, because that was a lot. And like when he he would like come out on, I was like looking hard. It was already drooling. It was already there. Like he came out with a wet tin. 
against like, himself, like putting his, like, you know what I mean? Like just being like, haha, I'm a spitter, but King George spits more. I think <laughs> it was, I can't imagine spitting that much, but. Right. I mean, I definitely think it was more, but that exactly. was just the, someone had asked him about the spitting. He's like, oh, I'm a spitter. So maybe he was also maybe just having fun with like the interview. A joke? <laughs> He's funny and gay. And, and so beautiful. Talented. And I'm married, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but he can like, see you to sleep. Yeah, that was, I mean, oh man. Him and Thomas Jefferson were such amazing comedy. <sighs> really, I mean, it was funny the whole time. True. Like, true. Don't know why I said true. The lyrics was, were funny. Like, Yeah, there were many funny moments. But yeah, those two characters just like, they're so good. They were, yeah. They were also amazing. I can't imagine memorizing all of that and like hitting on those beats, like where there were light in, like the lights were synced to their movements and their words. Like imagine screwing up performing Hamilton. Like how do you cover that? Like with a line, you can do it, but when it's like maybe an audience member wouldn't even notice because you're just like taking in so much. But that is mind blowing. I read that. It, it averages 140 words per minute. It literally took me like five minutes to like <laughs> settle in to that much information that quickly where I was like, and it is, it's all like heavy and kind of dense. And you're like, I need to be absorbing all of this. <laughs> and in combination, the music as well as the dialogue, but also Andy Lincoln Bueller's choreography, I was astounded and I missed it at first I was jumbled at first because truthfully the editing uh, of this production really caught me off guard as it kept going because it was cut together so quickly I felt like I couldn't hold on to moments very long Um, and there's always so much going on and so it was a little bit of sensory overload but Blankenbuehler's choreography really hinged on the double turntable at the center of the stage which would move in the same two sections move in the same uh, direction or opposite directions. And there are all these passing moments that every single actor had to be in the exact right moment to have these near misses with a, a huge array of other dancers and actors and, and ensemble members. And if you were off even one slight beat, you couldn't just like hurry your steps because you would have completely missed the double turntable, you would have completely missed your beat. I mean, layer upon layer of genius here. It makes sense why they doubled up the roles because you can't have too many people. <laughs> that is so such a chaotic production. You know, it makes sense that you had to be really connected as a group to pull that show off. And it was interesting in this cast, like a lot of the times with ensemble actors, like I, you know, they're there and supporting the story, but I like don't pay attention. And in this production, looking on IMDb, it was like, oh my God, yeah, that ensemble actor who was so like engaging, you know, they're super memorable and engaging throughout the whole, the whole production. Totally. I agree. And I think the choreography definitely has something to do with that, but they're all like actors too. Like all of them are like TV working actors. Spend some time on IMDb, figure it out. 
Well, and Renee Elise Goldsberry, who played Angelica, she played the mother in Waves. Like there's individuals who we're going to get to see again and again. But moving from the stage to the screen doesn't always translate, as we know. I mean, I could tell the difference between heavily trained stage performers and individuals who had a little bit more loose quality. I mean, for me, Debbie Diggs uh, did not present as a trained stage performer, and that was the that was the glory of the role. That what he what he brought to the marquee, and what then what he brought to Thomas Jefferson and the humor and the lightness, uh, and and a different type of fluidity and agility that didn't turn on the same pin as maybe a trained dancer, uh, how that might work, but it brought something fresh and new and eye-catching in a non-distracting way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lin-Manuel has really built an incredible bridge between Broadway and film. I mean, he is he is a genius and I, he might be the nicest guy on the planet. I don't know. We're not best friends anymore. I you know, don't really talk to him very much. Yeah. No, just kidding. I, I really yeah, I think he's the nicest guy ever. What makes you say that? I don't know. It's just like his response to the criticism from Hamilton, I thought was really cool. Because he's like, yeah, this is fair game. And just how much work he gets. I think he's just a joy to work with. <laughs> I also know that he loves Name of the Wind. So maybe that's why I'm that's also why. Like, Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm totally biased. Oh, know? I've read that. Litmus test. Oh my gosh. Oh Can my we God. talk about Anthony Ramos again for another second? Because he's just so amazing. His face is so memorable. Like he's been like a side character. He was in Star is Born and I can't place him in Star is Born, but he's been like a side character in many films. And his face is so familiar. Like seeing him on stage, it's like, who is that guy? Only he and Stacy's boyfriend. Those were the two. That I was like, <laughs> He's also very handsome. So it just makes sense. And just so amazing playing Philip, like his boyish transformation into like a child. Well, I wanted to talk about him because of In the Heights coming out in 2021. Lin-Manuel's next huge project that so hits exciting. the screen in really not long from now because, you know, 2020 is a wash. So oh. <laughs> and yeah, Anthony Ramos is going to be the star. He's the star. I'm very excited to see him in that role. So now that we understand a little bit more about our relationship with Miranda and our appreciation of the cast and the handling of difficult story matter, the infusion of gorgeous diversity, hip hop and optimism. What are some aspects of this film or this experience that we want to take away with us into the rest of this glorious 2020 year? The soundtrack, like that's a literal takeaway. Download it on your Spotify. Take it away. It's really <laughs> fun to listen to. And it's this casting. Like, I feel like we could do that. I feel like every film should start to try to do that. I don't I feel like every film should start doing that. And it makes storytelling really seem authentic to the essence of storytelling, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's sort of a, a meta narrative that happens. I think when you do something like Hamilton did with casting all uh, people of color in specifically very white roles and environments, like that creates this this extra layer that's running on top of it the whole time. And so I'm super interested in that. And I'm, I'm really excited to see that 
more. It kind of got me hungry again for some Baz Luhrmann kind of style, anachronistic film in that way, but going even further because Hamilton went all the way. They doubled down. So I think it's really effective. And I want to see, yeah, I want to see more really white stories taken away and repurposed and retold in this way. And I am looking forward to putting into action Eliza's request for women to be part of the narrative. She says this, she sings this in her song, that would be enough. And she says, let me be part of the narrative. And we don't get a lot from the women in Hamilton, though we do get some, and what we get is gorgeous. Women aren't here to serve the storytelling of men. So getting to see more women and their stories exemplified uh, in these retellings, uh, in these repurposed, relensed, recalibrated, rethought, rehumanized adaptations. I'm going to be into that. I'm going to be into to more women, more ladies. Totally. I read that Eliza in real life, like, built, like, she did so many incredible things in her life. And I don't know why this is like tickling this thought in my mind, but when she passed away, she had built Alex. I go, we're on that basis now. Alex. Yeah. Alex. Alex. Right. Alex. Alex. Huh? Um, but she built Alexander like a beautiful tomb uh, where he lays. And she just has like her name on a plaque. Interesting. Pretty much sends it up. I know. Right I know. But to talk about like, you know, shining the lens more on women's stories and and exploring that more it's so fascinating to me that she then chose to just like that is fascinating what a profound statement that absolutely yeah i i would i'm gonna need to unpack that and i think that that is just one example of information i would never have ever had if it weren't for this musical so yeah the more stories we tell and the more ways we choose to, to tell them, to diversify them, the more we'll learn about people who have been completely forgotten. And that inspires me. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, fine. I guess I like musicals. I mean, oh, said it. Anything recorded in a podcast that ain't legally binding. Get your tra- tram stamp now. Thank you so much for joining us. Be safe and stream on. Bye. Bye. Au revoir. This has been a Quarantine Style Talking to Crows production.